Good afternoon. This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County, welcoming you to the November 2022 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, a monthly live interview show the second Monday of each month on WPKN 89.5 FM, bringing you news and information about the arts and culture across coastal Fairfield County. This month, we take advantage of the season and of the recent election results to give thanks. Thanks for the support that arts and culture receives from our state legislature, as well as from individual donors, our local businesses and family foundations. We welcome as our guest today two recently re-elected legislators, both of whom have a history of understanding and supporting the arts and culture and getting behind arts and culture funding initiatives. Joining them are the head of the Connecticut Arts Alliance and the director of grants and programs at Connecticut Humanities. Our legislators are Representative Lucy Dathan, Democrat, with House District 142 representing Norwalk and New Canaan, and Representative David Michelle with House District 146 representing mostly the South End of Stamford. Welcome, Lucy and David. Thank you so much, David, and thank you for having us today. You're very welcome. Thank you, David. Also joining us today is uh, Brett Thompson, Executive Director of the Connecticut Arts Alliance, the main advocacy body for the arts in Connecticut, and Scott Wands, in charge of grants and programs at Connecticut Humanities. Welcome to you both. Thanks, David. Great to be here. Thanks, David. Likewise. So first, Lucy and David, um, please tell us what brought you to want to serve in the Connecticut State Legislature um, to begin with, and how long has it been? Let's start with Lucy. Well, I'm in my third term. Mm. Um, just got reelected. And Congratulations, of thank course, you. again. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's very exciting. Um, what brought me here? I really realized I wanted to do something for my community, uh, really give back. Um, and also, I was looking at our legislature back in 2017, 2018, and we were only about 20% women. And I thought, oh we, my need, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> we are half the population, <laughs> and I think it's time for uh, someone who is a woman. Uh, likewise, uh, I'm a finance person by trade, a CPA, mm. and uh, we needed more finance people, um, especially in light of the budget crises uh-huh. that we were right. having at that time. Terrific. How about you, David? Uh, hello, David, and hello, Lucy, and uh, thank you for the great introduction. Uh, I just make one quick correction. My district engulfs Chipan, the South End, and the lower Ooh, downtown of Stanford. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've been serving for uh, two terms, four years, and uh, now just reelected for another two years. And prior to being elected, I, I was a, a, an advocate and activist for social justice. Mm-hmm. And I was basically pushed to run uh, in politics uh, uh, because of the changes I was bringing to Stanford as an advocate. And oh. uh, I, I've been an mm-hmm. activist and organizer for, for quite a long time outside of my professional life. Mm. Um, and uh, what positions do you currently have in the legislature, David? So I'm in the Environment, Planning mm-hmm. and Development, and Transportation Committees. I'm also currently uh, assistant to the Majority Leader, and I'm a member and was the proponent of the Connecticut Offshore Wind Commission on Environmental Standards, and I'm also the co-chair of the Connecticut Animal Advocacy Caucus. Hi, that's quite a broad uh, portfolio you have there. 
Um, how about you, Lucy? Uh, thank you for that question. I am vice chair of the Appropriations Committee, um, which uh, goes great with my background. Mm. I also sit on Human Services and the Insurance and Real Estate Committee. I am a co-chair of a MAPOC, which is basically the Medicaid Oversight uh, uh-huh. Council, uh, one of the subcommittees, and pretty uh, involved in uh, all of those things, as well as the FAC uh, kind of financial oversight mm-hmm. of the legislature. That's great. Um, so how long have you realized the importance of arts, culture, and tourism, not only in your personal and social lives, but also understanding it as an economic driver in the state, Lucy? Well, for me, I always anecdotally could see it. You know, when you have uh, shows or uh, productions or other sort of art Uh, events, you would see the economic drivers within your community and how Hmm. it affected. Really, um, I became much more attuned to it in the in my role of uh, appropriations in the DECD um, Department of Economic Development subcommittee, where we would hear from folks like yourselves Hmm. and other nonprofits in our state that are supporting the arts. And they gave us real live, you know, return on investment numbers, Mm -hmm. ROI, as I like to call them. And really seeing uh, how much of an impact it it really made, you know, how many jobs were created, how much of the state's GDP was involved. And uh, it was really impressive. And so when I got that understanding, it was something that I could easily put my my hands behind. Right. Good. And thanks for the reminder of the uh, responsibility on us to report to you those, those figures. What about you, David? Uh, David, so I, I learned how to paint uh, and play piano and play <laughs> violin and other instruments at a young age. Fantastic. Uh, violin, I use the Paganini method. Uh-huh. I know it's very important to mention for those violinists out there. My mother was a, a teacher, now just retired, plays at least uh, dozens of instruments of music and paints in silk and watercolor um, and, and got a bunch of, uh, uh, a lot of prizes actually, uh, when she was first, second, and third in many art uh, hmm. Uh, venues, uh, and I was accompanying her, and I would uh, display my photography, black and white photography. <laughs> uh, I was a um, um, so, of course, my mother had a huge influence on me, and um, I was always told I had a wild and vivid imagination when writing <laughs> in French class, and uh-huh. so, and I'm convinced it was highly influenced by the drawing, painting, music, yes. and photography that I think helped my mind, uh, quote unquote, fly with it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And soon after, um, uh, so now uh, in terms of uh, the importance of, uh, of uh, as an economic driver in the state, I mean, soon after being elected, I questioned uh, the funding of the arts in the state. Uh, I was quite disappointed to learn a few years back that we were losing Frank- Franklin Street Works in Stanford, which mm-hmm. meant we were losing one of our prominent art galleries in town. I also uh, looked at certain local issues, such, and it's funny, I'm going to say such as the blight and some areas that are dismissed uh, and for example, a great example is what surrounds our railroads, right, and our highways. And I always thought that we should pay artists to better these areas, right, mm-hmm. surrounding uh, the rails and, and highways. I'm convinced that we should um, talk to several artists to work on a transportation arts project across the state uh, on those, on that, on, based on that idea. Also, we have so much pride about our parks. Why not create more grants for more art in our parks? I do mm-hmm. realize that the arts and Tourism would benefit the state if we put in grants to help generate those projects. And, you know, we also had 
bills such like trying to remove, I think it was this year, to remove the allocation money for arts projects and state building. Uh, and thank goodness that died. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't yeah. go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, that's a good segue. Um, I, I was interested in what you thought some of the achievements of the legislature um, have been in the last year in the cultural arena, David. Well, I, I, I'll keep it real. I think this year the main one was what, uh, passing. I think it was Bill five zero three seven that was part of it, uh, part of the budget to uh, dedicate. I, I can't remember the amount, but it was maybe twenty or, or more millions to uh, dedicate to the arts right. and culture for the next couple of years. Yes, well, and get we to did that. also something that I, I would like to because we're also talking about culture, and in the last few years we did uh, make sure that we taught in school about AAPI and African-American history in school, which I believe mm-hmm. is crucial. Absolutely. And yeah. will certainly help with expanding uh, culture and art in our state. Yeah. Right. How about you, Lucy? Well, with my appropriations hat on, it's yes. a lot of financial things in, in my mm-hmm. park. Um, you know, we had about $13 million uh, allocated just this year for the uh, tourism fund over that. And so that was um, pretty exciting. When you see that you know, these sort of, uh, the arts brings over $9 billion worth of economic activity to our state. It is definitely uh, a well, a good investment. A, a good investment. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite achieve- achievements actually was uh, the summer of the museum program oh, right. and the grants yes. that were associated with that. I, I mean, it wasn't a huge amount of money, um, but it was an investment of about $3.5 million of ARPA funding. And really, um, the reason I'm so proud of it is it really is addressing young people in our state and um, things that people have been affected by through COVID. Could you COVID. just explain what that was to the sure, audience? Sure, sure, sure. So, um, like in my neck of the woods, we have the Maritime uh, Aquarium, and they have amazing programs all summer long. And um, this funding uh, enabled uh, Maritime Aquarium to have additional programs geared towards children, especially those who may have suffered learning loss during the pandemic or other socialization, giving them um, an opportunity to get more involved with uh, within their community, but a, a better understanding of um, in the Maritimes case, um, what all of the the sea life and what it means to be a, a coastal community, as well as here we are mm. protecting our sound. Um, but that was just one of the organizations that did benefit from that program. But I was really excited about that because it addressed two parts of our you know our community. One, the the young people who were starving for for arts right. in their lives, but also really supported the organizations that have uh, really struggled during the times of COVID yeah. and during the pandemic. So. And we hope that's going to be extended. I would love yeah. to see that extended because yeah. so it does, uh, It again, looking at the ROI uh, on uh, what the arts brings to our state, mm. when you have these young people that are coming, they obviously don't come alone. So their parents are coming and they are investing right. uh, in either lunch or gift stores and, and right. those sort of things. <laughs> so, uh, David and Lucy, you're two of the six legislators that I'm aware of, at least in our coastal Fairfield County region, that sit on the still fairly new arts, culture and tourism legislative caucus. The others that I'm aware of are Joe Gresco from Stratford, Tony Huang, Senator Tony Huang in Fairfield, Jonathan Steinberg from Westport, and Kristen McCarthy-Vehi from Fairfield. Can you tell us a little bit about the caucus, what it is, why you joined, what you hope it could achieve, Lucy? 
Well, for me, um, I heard about the caucus kind of early in my uh, tenure, but really decided that this was something that was going to bring more attention, particularly for uh, Fairfield County, of what uh, the arts and uh, what they bring to our uh, community. Um, Really wanted to also understand, um, to also support the work that I do in appropriations, um, what we can do as a legislature to help um, not just in the monetary sense and appropriations, hmm. but uh, on the other sort of side of uh, everything. And really understanding how much um, the arts and tourism really does bring to our states. Because we are sort of sandwiched between New York and Boston, uh, we do have such a, a vibrant community here, um, able to pull things from those uh, larger metropolitan areas, but bring those sort of cultures to our state. And what do you think the caucus uh, might um, do? I mean, as a body, so I mean, individual legislators can do what they can, but how does a caucus really I think the the benefit of having the caucus is we work together in elevating the issues so that we can Mm -hmm. actually be champions and actually really do get a chance to support what will uh, help this um, area of our economy. And uh, I think working together really um, as a, a coalition, yeah. if you will, bipartisan mm-hmm. coalition, mm-hmm. as you pointed out, um, to really elevate um, how important the arts is and what we can do as a legislature to support it in our state mm-hmm. outside of just the monetary. Right. Yeah. David? Yeah, David. So uh, just in case some people, some people actually, I still find that out when I'm knocking doors, don't necessarily know what a caucus is. And the mm-hmm. caucus is just a, a group of legislator, legislators on the same area of cognizance, in this case, arts, culture, and tur- tourism. So uh, I had a couple of reasons to join the, this caucus. Uh, of course, first one is, you know, figure out how I can help promote the arts with other legislators. So in a caucus, what you do is, typically bring up an idea that might not have been brought up yet uh-huh. and push on and see where the caucus, what the caucus um, feelings are on, that, on this idea. Uh, that, that's why we have these caucuses, so that we can share our um, different legislative efforts. Uh, so how to elevate the arts, of course, in the state and culture. But also the tourism part, because I am the right. co-chair of the Animal Advocacy Caucus, and, um, and I do think it's important uh, that... We promote stewardship with the environment and that maybe we organize rather than having bills every year for black bear hunting, although it's a controversial subject at this moment. Uh, but uh, in order to value the, the wildlife that we have uh, and, and maybe look into ecotourism, which some states do and, and, uh-huh. and really gain a lot of um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, funding from uh, tourism, ecotourism, some states would... Uh, actually publicize the fact that they have bears and organize tours uh, mm. with ranchers and, mm. and stuff like that. And so I think that elevating the arts and culture, but also uh, elevating the tourism while right. bringing a, a better conscience of our surrounding environment. Um, you know, all these things are very important, I think. Right. Well, that brings up an, another important point, which is the integration of the arts, uh, the humanities and tourism. Um, many of us in the arts have felt that tourism has been a little remote and the connection, um, perhaps administratively, has not been as strong as it could be. And I think that's another reason for, for the, um, the strength of the caucus and its ability to bring these different, very related spheres together. Sure. And, and David, let's, we can stress the fact that 
with a caucus, you have a lot more chances of passing legislative efforts mm-hmm. with an entire caucus behind it. Because uh, you might have some chairs of maybe communities of cognizance, and then you also have um, uh, people that may be involved in appropriations and mm-hmm. uh, and other sorts of such things. So right. the caucus, a caucus, is very useful. Is it used in the in the proper manner? Yeah. Right. Yes, that mm-hmm. was great that it's that it's there, and I hope we can use it um, in the future. If you're just joining us, this is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County and the November 2022 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, a monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Our program today is Giving Thanks at this special time of the year for the support our arts and culture venues and organizations receive from our state legislature, as well, of course, as from individual donors, our local businesses and family foundations, and to look ahead in this giving season to the kinds of support and investment arts and culture needs moving forward. Our guests today are two recently re-elected legislators, Lucy Dathan and David Michelle, together with Brett Thompson, Executive Director of the Connecticut Arts Alliance, and Scott Wands, Director of Grants and Programs at Connecticut Humanities. I'd like to turn now to Brett, Brett Thompson at the Connecticut Arts Alliance, and First, Brett, can you tell us in a nutshell what the Connecticut Arts Alliance is? Sure. Uh, Thanks for having us, by the way, David, and congratulations to Representatives Dathan and Michelle. We really look forward to working with you in the upcoming session. So our, our basic role on a broad scale is to really work with the legislature so that they understand the needs and the opportunities of the entire arts sector. Um, obviously, you know, individual arts organizations and groups talk to their legislators so they kind of know the, the needs of those organizations. But looking at the overall picture, what what is the arts and culture mm-hmm. sector look like? What does it need? Um, that's a big piece of our work. Um, we obviously are a membership organization. Um, we have artists. We have arts organizations, concerned citizens and residents from the state who care about the arts. Um, we partner with uh, organizations like Connecticut Office of the Arts, Connecticut Humanities, um, the, the eight uh, regional arts service organizations like the Cultural um, Coalition. Um, and, of course, are, are funded by uh, Connecticut Humanities and Connecticut Office of the Arts. And I hear your pitch for membership there, Brett. So <laughs> if there are individual <laughs> yeah. artists or organizations out there that, uh, aren't connected to you, how do they, how do they join? Right. So our, our website is ct, uh, www.ctartsalliance.org. Um, just go to the Get Involved section. Um, our membership uh, dues are, are scaled, um, very modest for artists mm. and individuals to join us, and then scaled for um, budget size for arts organizations. Great. Now, we were just talking about the um, Arts, Culture, and Tourism Caucus, can you tell us about um, what your own perspective is about that caucus and what you think its potential could be? Sure. So, so um, in a nutshell, these are our peeps, right? These are the people who understand um, that there's, this is a three-legged stool. It's arts, it's culture, and tourism. And the three need to be supported equally in order to make the whole uh, work. So I think over, um, certainly over the last couple of years, I've seen a, a, an increase um, in participation. Mm-hmm 
participation in the caucus. I think there are a lot of newer legislators, younger folks coming in who understand Mm -hmm. um, how arts, culture, and tourism work together. So we're really looking forward to working with them in the upcoming um, session. Great. Um, Now, just moving on, uh, this year you organized, I think for the second time, something called Create the Vote. This was a campaign to get the arts community behind you and bringing some of our key issues to the attention of legislative candidates, and that included a questionnaire for them. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how it went this time? Sure. So so we brought um, Create the Vote to Connecticut in for the gubernatorial um, campaign's election in 2018. Oh, oh, uh, we focused yeah. Yep, yeah, and then... Um, also for 2020, the Mm -hmm. legislative elections, and then this year as well. So we focus at the state level. It's a nonpartisan program. It has kind of two components. One is to get um, candidates for office to be thinking about and articulating um, their positions on the arts and culture and tourism in the state. And then the other half of that, sort of the flip side of it, is to get folks in the community to um, educate themselves on what their candidates, you know, their favorite mm-hmm. candidates' um, positions are. We want them to support arts champions. We want legislators to be arts champions. Um, this year, uh, we issued a survey to about 300 candidates. Um, 75 or so of those um, responded to us, including the, the two representatives uh, with us today. Um, they articulated their thoughts on everything from what the arts mean to them, uh, what what it, uh, what the arts and culture did for them through COVID, um, what kind of support that um, they could provide to the arts and culture and tourism communities. Um, this was probably certainly more than double the number of candidates who responded to our 2020 survey. Uh-huh. So you're yeah, onto I, something here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, you know, I think we've got some momentum behind us. Good, good. Um, So, um, Lucy and David, you were two of the 75 who responded to that questionnaire. Um, That's two of just 16 in our area who responded out of the 78 invited. Um, Any general responses to the questions? Did it open anything up for you in terms of your thinking about this whole area, Lucy? Uh, Well, for me, it I actually really enjoyed reading the responses of my colleagues uh, others, and potential yes. colleagues <laughs> and really understanding that this was post the event. But really mm. what, um, you know, we, we do as legislators, not just um, part of our committees, but what we also do for our, our uh, community. Mm. And f- for myself, uh, and I know David Michelle is, is very much in the, in the same, where we really try to promote the arts within our social media platforms in terms of events that, you know, somebody like the Silver Mine Art Center might have right. or the Nice Festival yeah. or the Symphony uh, in Norwalk. And really just trying to make sure that we highlight, because all of these organizations are on tight budgets, we need to make sure that we help um, on a grassroots basis get that um, voice out there. And so uh, reading the other responses from some of the other legislators was great because I was like, oh, I didn't know about that. And this is really <laughs> right. exciting. So um, I think it was it was a, a good exercise and also a, a thoughtful one in terms of really kind of getting out there and talking about uh, the return on the investment and really mm-hmm. making the aware and, uh, awareness of all because – you know, we've seen in, in tough budgetary times uh, how the arts has come under threat and really getting that information out there to folks to really seeing um, a, a cut in, in arts funding, what it really does yeah. to our Connecticut economy. Yeah. And I think the the uh, 
the survey did a very good hmm. job of highlighting that for folks that aren't part of this sort of budget process like myself. How about you, David? Well, outside of the um, um, other surveys, uh, filled up being very informative, uh, it was also like kind of an introspection, right? Uh, like yes. other legislators, uh-huh. we're always working on many subjects. <laughs> right. And so this was actually helping me scribble notes on the side about things to push huh. in caucus that I think of <laughs> sporadically yes. and never write down, right? Uh-huh. Because I'm in the middle of 20 other things. So I think that was good to make my own um, sort of introspection. And also I was in, in, invited to your event, right, at the Norwalk Aquarium. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so I think that, that followed uh, the, the, follow, the filling up the survey and seeing the musicians and the Im- imagery of life made me think of another project to pitch to the animal advocacy community and uh-huh. artists to work on <laughs> collaborations. Uh-huh. So... Excellent. Uh, yeah, I think so, a, a, a bunch of things came up. And again, that transportation arts project that I, I keep thinking of for a few years now. And, uh, uh, you know, I would look forward to uh, working with Brett on, on such things. Yes. Yeah. So, Brett, this, um, this survey was a great catalyst, it seems, for uh, legislators to start thinking about the future. So that, that's good. That's great. <laughs> we're, we're so happy. Yeah. So there were other questions on the survey about how the arts and culture could be strengthened in the state. But before we get to the answers, maybe we should quickly review how arts and culture is generally funded in the state. Maybe I'll start out with my um, basic understanding. And Brett, you can correct me as I go along. So my understanding is we've got something called the Tourism Fund that gets 10% of the funds produced by the hotel tax. That's a 15% tax on hotel stays. So I understand that 60% of that goes into, goes towards the Office of Tourism, and 40% goes to arts and culture, maybe around a million and a half to the Office of the Arts and about 800,000 to Connecticut Humanities, um, each of whom then gets maybe around a million dollars in matching grants from national endowments, the NEA, the NEH. And then there are some 35 non-competitive line items that go directly to specific institutions. So, Brett, is that basically correct in terms of a picture of business as usual for funding the arts? Yeah, I I think business as usual is is the way to put that because this is kind of the funding model that's been in place um, pre-COVID, pre-pandemic. The last uh, the the current budget um, ha- has a, um, a lot more funding in it. Um, some of that came from from the federal government, but in general, this is how the arts and arts, culture, and tourism have been funded in the state. Right. Um, yeah, and I think you know, I think um, the system has tended to drift towards um, legislators making. Um, decisions for individual groups and individual mm-hmm. organizations, which is great. The legislators obviously always have, um, that's their job, is to figure out right. where the money mm-hmm. should go. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think one of the things we'll be looking for is additional support for uh, Connecticut Humanities and Connecticut Office of the Arts because those organizations know the communities that they're serving. Um, they can provide um, a broader perspective on where state investments can be made um, for the greatest return. 
Yes, very, very good, very good point. Um, any comments, Lucy? No, I think or, that's a spot yeah. on. David? No, spot on, but I just want to reiterate that, um, you know, when we work on, on legislating things, it's always great to have the public support. I think my colleague Lucy mentioned, uh, uh, alluded to that earlier. And I think working with, Gre with Brett would be uh, at gathering public support for certain efforts will help us in our in our in our um, uh, in our works. <laughs> right. So it's it's um, it's advocacy, but it's not just um, you know this is what we this is what we need. It seems as if you're both saying. We just need more communication, more conversation. Tell us what you're doing, um, you know, so that so that legislators have more of a feel of what's going on in their area, in their community. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's hard for even even for myself to to really understand everything that's about the arts in Stanford, mm -hmm. right? Right. I would need. I need. It's not only state; it's municipal, and then it's all the third party and all the and the artists, etc. So I, I, we do use our email blast to promote the arts locally, mm -hmm. but there are things that we, I'm sure we could be more helpful with if we knew more about it. So that's why these communications with the public, with artists, with um, art buyers, etc., mm. is you know it's important that we and we might need help with that through Brad, through you, uh, to know more, understand more what is really going on with the arts in the state. Right. And that helps us be more precise in what we do in the legislature. So, listeners, a clear message. Contact your uh, representative <laughs> and let them know what you're doing, what your, what your arts and cultural organization um, is, is up to. And just to add, um, your, I think it's like weekly or monthly blast that you the, put the together. E yes. Yeah, the eBuzz um, for the Culture Alliance of Fairfield County is a great source for me to say, oh, okay, this comes on my radar that yeah. something's coming up mm -hmm. or wasn't familiar with this organization yet. And so uh, it, it it's very helpful. So if listeners aren't on that uh, eBuzz, then I That's think right. Subscribe to our weekly eBuzz and listen to it on WPKN uh, every day. <laughs> If you're just joining us, this is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County and our November 2022 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, a monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Our program today is giving thanks at this special time of the year for the support our arts and culture venues and organizations receive from our state legislature, as well as from individual donors, our local businesses and family foundations and looking ahead in this giving season to the kinds of support and investment arts and culture needs moving forward. Our guests today are two recently re-elected legislators, Lucy Dathan and David Michelle, together with Brett Thompson, Executive Director of the Connecticut Arts Alliance, and Scott Wands, Director, Grants and Programs at Connecticut Humanities. So before the break, we were just talking about the current system of arts and culture funding in the state, but then, of course, came COVID in 2020, and just about everything and everyone closed down. There was real paralysis for a while. No income coming in from art buyers, from audiences. And after several months, the federal government kicks in with the CARES Act, with the $16 billion in the sheltered venues operating grants for theaters and music venues. And then there was ARPA, the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, to states and municipalities, 
And then for the 2022-23 biennial budget, the Connecticut legislature voted some $31 million over two years to arts and cultural organizations to be administered by Connecticut Humanities. Is that basically right, Lucy? Yes, yeah. exactly. So here I want to bring in Scott, Scott Wands uh, from Connecticut Humanities. Um, and first I wondered, Scott, if you could tell us how Connecticut Humanities fits into the arts and culture ecosystem of, of the state. Sure, David, and thanks for having us, and congratulations to Representative Dathan and Michelle on your uh, re-election. Um, so about 50 years ago, the federal government created the National Endowments for the Arts and, and for the Humanities uh, to do the work at, at the federal level of helping uh, the people understand expression and creativity on, on the art side and the issues uh, facing us as a society, um, past, present, and future uh, through discussion and, and other programs on the humanities side. At that same time, they set, set up um, uh, infrastructure at the state level. Uh, for the arts, these became um, state agencies and where the Connecticut Office of the Arts came from. Uh, at the humanities side, they became independent nonprofit organizations, and that's when, uh, just roughly 50 years ago now, uh, the Connecticut Humanities Council, where I work, uh, was, was brought into existence. Uh -huh. um, Pre-pandemic, uh, the Office of the Arts and, and Connecticut Humanities both supported organizations across the state, um, some of which ones that the other did not. But, but by and large, we, we were not working overly um, closely together. We were supporting our own mm -hmm. missions and work on the creative side with, with Office of the Arts and with the um, expression and um, contextualization of things on the humanities side. Um, but the, the pandemic really brought us closer together. Can, if I could uh, just in, the... just interrupt, Scott. So just as we were saying earlier, um, for a while, the Office of the Arts, uh, Connecticut Humanities, and the Office of Tourism were really in their own worlds. They weren't doing too, too very much together. But perhaps during COVID, that has really changed. And you've all really been trying to work together in a much more integrated way. For, for sure. And I think, you know, the, this started with um, even things before the pandemic, but really came to, to the fore with the CARES Act and the fact that the Office of the Arts um, and Connecticut Humanities received federal funding through the, the two endowments to distribute at the state level. And we worked closely together to be able to um, make sure that as many organizations as possible received support through these grant lines mm -hmm. um, and that some organizations didn't have um, multiple bites at the at the funds or others didn't <laughs> right. get any. right. Um, and this led to the realization as more and more programs uh, rolled out with other state funds that larger museums were being left out of some of the state support that was happening. Mm. Um, and together, Connecticut Humanities, the Office of the Arts, um, went to the state and, and, and explained that museums like Mystic Seaport hadn't received any uh, support yet. And at the end of 2020, this led to $1.5 million um, being released to support um, the state's larger institutions that, that didn't uh -huh. qualify for the $5,000 that smaller businesses were eligible for. Um, and, and over time, this has just grown the work that we're doing together, the way that we can communicate and, and advocate on behalf of the organizations that we all serve, the arts, the humanities, the cultural, uh, the tourism destinations in the state, uh, which led to the CT Summer at the Museum program, which has uh, now happened twice, and, uh, and a representative um, was talking about that earlier, you know, we at Connecticut Humanities helped in, in, uh, support that program and implement uh, the grants with the Office of the Arts, which led to uh, 123 grants that we administered this summer, making equitable access to 
um, the arts, to culture, to strong educational opportunities at a time where there's still an educational loss that's happened because mm-hmm. of the pandemic. Right. Um, and, and this really culminated um, at the beginning of the last biennial budget with the $30.1 million being allocated to go out in operating support to support the state's cultural community in a way that has never happened right. before and led to um, 631 grants that we made uh, last fall. And we just got 765 applications in for the uh, year two program that, that had a deadline at the beginning yeah. of November. So tell us more about how that came about, um, the decision by the legislature to commit that amount of funds to arts and culture, and then the role of Connecticut Humanities in this. And please, Lucy and David, jump in uh, with any comments. Um, you know, we at the beginning of the last legislative cycle, um, we were still very much in the middle of COVID. Um, organizations were still struggling. Uh, many of our performing theaters had gone dark. Many of our museums uh, weren't opening up their doors in the same way and had gone to virtual program models. Um, and we were in, in a good state financially with the state and that there was um, budget surpluses. And, and the state there, there oh, I'm still here. Okay. Sorry, I got yeah, I, continue. Hold yeah. music there for a moment. Um, yeah, the, the state um, uh, used some of that budget surplus to make sure that as many of the state's humanities, arts, cultural organizations, our museums, our historical societies, our zoos, our aquariums, uh, we're receiving equitable uh, state funding to go to operating support to enable them to um, bring back employees that they might have uh, lost or, or had to reduce hours because of, of the pandemic. Um, and they saw the value that we bring in supporting our educators and, and, and continue to help students right. have well-rounded um, educational opportunities um, and, and really as, as a way to, to, to kickstart and bring us all into um, the most modern um, infrastructure possible for 21st century learning. Lucy and David, do you have any um, anything to <laughs> tell us just about how, how that got started? What was the impulse well, behind that? I think, you know, we, we talk about the effects of COVID and particularly on our, our young our young population. Um, you know, some of these um, wonderful organizations came up with very creative um virtual activities, which was very helpful Mm -hmm. during the, you know, times that we weren't able to get out there. But we saw as a legislature that um, so many of these organizations needed to have the the students and the the folks back. Um, And also, you know, for our young people, having that sort of um, overall sensory experience, not just visually a sensory, but Mm. overall, you know, being able to see, to touch and to to listen and uh, all of these things are so important and really those in-person uh, uh, events are so much more uh, effective. Um, but, you know, I was really happy in, in my community. We had um, things that actually opened during the middle yeah. of the pandemic. Mm. We, you know, we had the Norwalk Art, art Space, yeah. which is an uh, amazing little mm. um, place that just opened up uh, in the last sort of 12 to 18 months. And um, it's been very vibrant and right. seeing how that uh, these sort of funds have really um, been a, a charge into that but community. Where did that start? Who, who initiated this idea? Um, I think there was a lot of um, people from all parts. I think, you know, we heard uh, directly from the uh, the providers of the yeah. arts. Mm-hmm. We heard from our educators. We heard even from, you know, folks like, 
you know, AARP and said, mm-hmm. okay, these, you know, our, our aged population needs to get back and, right. and, and see these sort of things. So there was and real pressure from real the community. Real pressure to, from the yeah. community at all mm-hmm. levels. And um, I think, you know, the governor, um, we were uh-huh. very grateful for uh-huh. his uh, commitment to the arts during this time and his investment. Um, it was really uh, important. And as uh, someone pointed out, we've had budget surpluses. And so we see the return on investment. So let's, you know, jumpstart mm-hmm. our economy post-COVID um, with this strong investment into the arts. Mm. David, any comments on how that Yeah, I mean, happened? like I was thinking of something earlier, but uh, I'll throw it in here now because I think it's important. It's important to ensure that the money allocated is also used right adequately. So it's, that's why the communication, I go back to the communications between stakeholders are extremely important. And uh, I also think that part of our role as legislators, because when I, I heard before the pandemic, they, you know, some stakeholders would not be sitting at the table together. We are here to help with that as well. Uh-huh. And that's one of the things where we can be efficient uh, and helping. And then in terms of uh, projects with uh, private entities that are suffering through COVID, you know, I, I was hearing about uh, things on aquariums and, and zoos. Um, you know, for example, uh, hotels also have been suffering, right? And yes. so yeah. maybe projects at hotels would maybe help them generate some attention and bring help with, you know, people visiting those hotels and might help them keep their employees. Even though they receive funding from federal, they still let go of many employees, which mm. is, I'd say, is probably pretty shameless. But... Um, yeah, I mean, aquariums, again, like, you know, some entities do receive already state funding for other things. So maybe looking at, you know, small businesses that are struggling mm-hmm. um, and that that needs attention from the lo- local, right? So like the board of the state reps can talk to their city councils and see, hey, you know, what's going on with small businesses, da-da-da, and maybe we can establish plans like that of, of you know, getting grants for small businesses and maybe that to have a collaboration with uh, some artists or something. So, and, you know, it just makes me want to look further. Yes. Uh, and of... Maybe smaller entities that might be suffering uh, more than others. I did say hotels, despite the fact that they receive funding again, but they are suffering. There's no questions about mm-hmm. it. So, um, and I know of... that in the, in the past, uh, I was sitting in a plane uh, between, I believe, Milan and, and uh, Vegas. <laughs> and I was sitting next to an artist who was doing paintings for some major hotels, right? Like the Four Seasons and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so it, I always thought about this, like, uh, you know, the hotels and again, but maybe bring the attention to smaller business or right. entities that are not yeah. really getting help from the state. A lot of and good that do need help. A lot of know, good ideas there that we can, that we can think through. And thank you. Um, back to Scott. Um, so, Connecticut Humanities is now hard at work building a case for this extraordinary level of funding to continue in some way. Can you tell us a little bit about your strategy and especially the data that you've been collecting to build the case? Sure. So we knew at the outset of this that this was an unprecedented opportunity that we didn't want to just um, go away after the the two years of funding. We wanted to help better understand who our cultural sector is overall, all of the arts, museums, humanities, cultural organizations, um, the impact that we have on the state, what our collective needs are, and how we serve our communities. So we, at the outset, um, 
contracted with Susie Wilkening and Wilkening uh, Consultants to really start to take um, surveys of all the organizations receiving funds at four different points over the two years, the beginning of year one, the end of year one, beginning of year two, the end of year two, to better understand um, what all we are doing. Um, and you know, we have a better feel for how many history organizations there mm-hmm. are, how many arts organizations there are, um, the impact that COVID has still continued to have, the employment numbers that we have as a state. And now we can start to figure out as um, time rolls on, um, you know, where are these funds going? How are they helping organizations out here? And, and we know, although we're still closing out the year one grants because places have until the end of this year to spend those funds and report back out, you know, 93% of these organizations that have reported out of the, the 200 that have reported out so far, they're using this for employment. Uh, 45% mm. of them are using it mm. towards building their digital infrastructure. 35% mm. are using it to uh, support K-12 education. Um, real numbers about who we are as a sector um, and, and, and not just anecdotal knowledge now, but, but actual uh, uh, you know, facts and figures that we can share with Brett and, and, and the Connecticut Arts Alliance uh, and in turn with the legislature to, to help make the impact of who we are as a sector and, and why we continue to matter and need to be supported going forward. Right. And um, really important work there in, in building that, that thicker, richer picture of what arts, culture and tourism does look like in our State And of course, I have to mention, too, that we're currently engaged on this national project, um, the Arts and Economic Prosperity Study, in which we are interviewing um, audiences in terms of how much money they spend going to nonprofit arts and culture events. So um, that big national study and the study, in effect, that you're doing with uh, recipients of the Connecticut Cultural Fund um, is <laughs> heaven for Lucy Davin, who <laughs> here who thrives on data and can really use that data in in terms of uh, making arguments. I'm so yeah. excited to hear about this because I mean, really, that the data is really where the proof is. We you know we can see the GDP growth, we can see the job growth, and what really uh, it means uh, on our state economy, but also on our local economy. What are what the benefits of our local municipalities right. are receiving from the arts and all of this information? We you know we get a lot from the Bureau of Economic Analysis, which is really helpful, but getting this um, extra bit of information really does help the legislature. Right, right. Um, so we, we're, we're a strong sector. We, we employ over 12,000 people, we figured out through um, the surveys that we've already done. You know, we have a huge amount of visitation. Over 7 million people participated either in person or virtually um, in the year before um, uh, the survey was done. Uh, 34,000 volunteers that are contributing million, over a million hours a year to our communities. We're a very strong and powerful and important sector for the state. So moving forward, um, Brett and Scott, uh, one tool that you're developing now is something called the Funding Roadmap for Arts, Culture and tourist, Tourism. Can you tell us what that is and what the approach so far is, uh, maybe, Brett? Sure, sure. So um, I, I sort of joke, half-joking, half I guess, that you know when we, when we saw um, the level of support that the state provided in the 2022-2023 budget, one of my first thoughts was, what are we going to do next, right? Because we knew that ARPA and uh, other federal funds weren't going to be with us forever. Um, And so we began having conversations with um, the Connecticut Tourism Coalition, which represents um, the tourism industry in Connecticut, Connecticut Humanities, which represents the humanities um, sector. As we alluded to a little earlier, these three 
um, kind of legs of the stool never really worked very closely together. So this was sort of an unprecedented moment. Um, we pulled our resources. We hired an organization called Odyssey Associates, um, who knows Connecticut's cultural world um, and tourism world very well. Um, we held six virtual forums. We had over 200 stakeholders from the community, arts, culture, and tourism communities, give us input on, um, you know, their funding needs, um, what they thought, um, uh, what they thought was needed at the local level. And so the idea here is to come up with this sort of funding roadmap. And the idea of it is to give the legislature a perspective on um, what a sustained, impactful investment on their part um, could look like. Mm -hmm. um, so roadmaps get us from where we are to where we want to go, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So, and where we are is probably pre-COVID because the, the, you know, the the COVID money that came into the state is is not um, long term. Right. So going from where we were to where we want to go. Um, so we're talking about, um, you know, we're, our, our three adjectives are meaningful, reliable, equitable. So meaningful funding means organizations get. Um, funding from the state that is going to really make a difference for them and the, excuse me, their local community. Um, re reliable means that within reason from year to year, there's not wild swings that they can rely on right. the state to support them so that if they're going to hire someone, um, they can, they're not, you know, they can bring someone on into their staff and know that they're going to be able to support them. And then equitable means that organizations um, that are similar in size and service uh, receive funding that is that is um, about the same. That organizations and, and folks who have traditionally been left out of funding um, for various reasons um, are um, uplifted. And so the so the roadmap talks about a funding level for the first time that we feel will adequately support the sector, uh, the sectors. Um, and that there are some funding models that we can use. Um, to, certainly the Connecticut Cultural Fund is a watershed moment mm -hmm. uh, because the state gave this money to a reputable, um, strong organization that's accountable. Um, it has measurable results, as we talked about, and it has a, a really strong um, equity component. And the same with right. Office of the Arts and the tourism folks. So, and so is that's the, the roadmap. Is the roadmap to be published, uh, presented um, in some way? It, yes. So we are, um, we're currently putting sort of the final touches uh -huh. on um, the messaging that we'd like to use. We have a number in mind, which um, uh, we're not prepared at this point to talk about um, sure. um, publicly, but we're planning an information session for the 2nd of December. That's a tentative date. We'll obviously have more information coming out. Um, and we'll also begin working with um, legislators. The caucus is going to be a huge piece of this, and we want to um, bring this roadmap to the caucus to talk to them about it, um, get their input. Um, and so, you know, this is going to be the primary uh, goal of certainly of Connecticut Arts Alliance in the 2023 That's great. legislative so, session. Well, thank you, um, Brett. That's very clear. Um, I just We just have a couple of minutes. Um, David and Lucy, any comments in terms of your sense of how it might be possible to develop some more consistent and reliable policy for funding arts and culture going forward, David? Sure. Um, 
Again, all stake. I mean, I'll, I'll resume what we've been basically, I think, saying in this conversation is all stakeholders to the table, including legislators. We need data. We need the projected impact that's supported by the data, and we need testimonies, and then some intense and relentless lobbying. Okay. <laughs> that's very well put. Thank you, Lucy. Well, I was going <laughs> to echo exactly yeah. that. I'm delighted to hear about this roadmap and to see what it means, because we do need to be strategic in nature with our investments, particularly in everything, but in, and I think the arts, in order for us to make sure that we can have um, forward investment. But I do love during the appropriations uh, public hearing process, so many of your members mm. that actually come forward and say what the investment of the state dollars does mean to them uh, and what they're able to provide. Um, and we really see it uh, in the impact in our communities that way. That's right. That's Thank you. And any final comment about how um, government funding fits in with the other parts of the funding ecosystem, individuals, uh, businesses, foundations? Do you see government funding as um, kind of catalyst for that? What's well, a 3D jigsaw puzzle? Yes, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, and you know, we see uh, some of the funding is really dependent on you know what the the uh, community mo- nonprofits raise themselves, and so if they have successful uh, efforts, they can are eligible for additional grants, which will help in that process. Right, as well. and I think also being able to articulate the need, being able to articulate the need to legislators, I think helps in that process with individuals um, as well. Well, our time is up. I want to thank um, all of our guests today. um, And it looks as if there are grand plans afoot. So, uh, and listeners, especially from arts and culture community, I hope you hear the call for more information about what's going on um, in in your activities. So this is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County. You've been listening to our November 2022 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, a monthly live interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Our program today was giving thanks at this special time of the year for the support our arts and culture venues and organizations receive from our state legislature, as well as from individual donors, our local businesses and family foundations. Our guests today were two recently re-elected legislators, Lucy Dathan and David Michelle. Together with Brett Thompson, Executive Director of the Connecticut Arts Alliance, and Scott Wands, Director Grants and Programs at Connecticut Humanities. You can hear the program again on WPKN Podcasts on SoundCloud. I'm David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County. Please tune in December the 12th for the next edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture.